The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey Rockheads, put down that turkey sandwich and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan, announcing show number 504 with guests Sam Ramsey and Bill Staples, recorded live Monday, November 23rd, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Grape City Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web Applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who had a hammer, never hammered in the morning, but certainly got hammered in the evening all over this land... Carl Franklin. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell with you. Hey, Richard. Yes, sir. Be here for a year. For a, a year. We'll be here for a year, for an hour. So that's what I meant to say. Uh, talking about .NET, and uh, let's kick it off, Richard, with the segment we like to call "Better Know Framework." Excellent. Yeah. So you're gonna love this. Remember, we've, we've been uh, talking about the, the the next round of Better Know Framework classes and things. Or we really want to focus on .NET four because mm-hmm. you know it's right around the corner. It's that time, and uh, we're gonna kick it off with the system. You're gonna love this system location namespace, huh? And this allows application developers to easily access the user's location using a single API. That information can come from multiple providers such as GPS, Wi-Fi triangulation, and cell phone tower triangulation. Did you hear that? Wi-Fi triangulation. Yeah. The system device location classes provide a single API to encapsulate the multiple location providers on a computer and support seamless prioritization and transitioning between them. A developer does not need to know which location sensing technologies are available on a particular computer is freed from the burden of tailoring an application to a specific hardware configuration. So 
check out some of these classes are like civic address, which represents uh, include fields such as street address, postal code, state, province, and country or region. Geo coordinate, which gives you a geolocation, latitude and longitude. Right. Uh, that's um, there's also a geolocation that can contain civic address data, lat long data, or both. So there's a geo coordinate and a geolocation. So now you're starting to think in terms of you've got a laptop and lots of new laptops now have the GPS stuff built right That's in. That's right. And your app would just immediately know you're in this building. You must be. I have your lat long and if I've already gotten the address for it. Absolutely. It's kind of spooky, really. It is kind of spooky. <laughs> My computer knows where I am. That's right. We know where you are. Hey, before you read the email, which I'm sure is going to be entertaining, let's talk a little bit about the My.net story contest. Absolutely. So this is a contest that's going on. Microsoft is hosting it. And if you think you have an excellent story around an application you've built in .NET, you go to my.netstory.com, you submit your, your information, and I'm one of the judges in the, in the final round. Scott Hanselman is also one of the judges. So we're well representing the POP story here. You bet. And uh, if you win, you get your choice of one or two prizes. One is a trip to the Galapagos Islands. Mm. Yummy. Yep. You can swim with the turtles. I've been there. Look for dodos. You won't find any. Trust me. No. And uh, Or you could get a smart car. I don't know. I think I take the Galapagos trip. That's just me. Well, yeah. You're not much for little cars, are you? No. I'm not a little car guy. No. But it's kind of amazing to think your the application you've already built, if it wins, you'll win a car for it. Right. And we uh, there's a first round of contestants that we interviewed at the PDC, which we'll be talking to them uh, in shows coming up here soon. So, Richard, who's yakking at us? Quite a few people, actually. Let me read you this one. You'll enjoy it. It's a terribly serious email here. Dear Abbott and Costello. Oh, no. <laughs> listening to your show 488 on user interface with Mark Miller and the Reverend Hollis, they asked for a UI design patterns repository. There are several such things out there. The nicest one is Quince which has a Silverlight front end for exploring different patterns by type and by usage. People are contributing screenshots and discussions about various patterns there and suggesting their own additions. It can be a little detail-oriented, but handy for picking up inspiration for alternative approaches when struggling with the design problem. Yahoo has another collection at developer.yahoo.com slash ypatterns, which covers everything from layout to user personas. It has more of a general design help that the Reverend was looking for. Yeah, he's not a we real sh- reverend. We by should the way. point out Billy is not actually a reverend. Whereas you are. Yeah, Richard. that's that's a whole other story. But <laughs> <laughs> nobody calls me reverend anything. In terms of general design training that uh, Mr. Miller and Hollis were describing, this sounds remarkably like the computer science design school degree I took about ten years at Stanford. Huh. So that's at Stanford.edu/group/dschool for design school. And there are courses there in interactive design. Hmm. Miller is right that the training is not specific. Patterns in the background for them are general. The training is in recognizing when a pattern is relevant and what to do with it when it conflicts with another pattern that is also applicable. Hmm. I'm sure that eventually new conventions and new patterns will evolve, and then we'll be ready for a new edition of Alan Cooper's About Facebook. Hmm. Parts of his book cover general interaction designs. Others are very specific interaction techniques. And Cooper's book has many useful recipes. I know I have a copy. Yep, me too. And none of these things will make you an artist. For that, you must buy a Mac and a black turtleneck. That's right. And uh, 
Work on your pretentiousness, too. Something like that. And that email was from Christian Morgensen from Oslo, Norway. Christian, thanks for the great email. We are sending you a .NET Rocks mug as we speak. And that brings us to our guests, Richard, Sam Ramji, and Bill Staples. Sam Ramji, Interim President of the CodePlex Foundation Board of Directors, is Vice President of Strategy at Sonoa a provider of analytics, management, and cloud governance solutions for APIs and cloud services. Sonoa is focused on accelerating the arrival of the open cloud economy, which I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about. That's interesting. Prior to Sonoa, Ramji was the senior director of platform strategy at Microsoft and led open source strategy across the company. In this role, he led the company to contribute to a range of strategic open source technologies including PHP and Linux, driving sustainable business growth through customer demand for interoperability. Ramji had previously served at Microsoft as Director of Emerging Business for the Silicon Valley campus, where he managed relationships with venture capitalists and entrepreneurs. Other experience includes leading technical product strategy at BEA Systems, leading engineering teams building large-scale applications on open-source software at ophoto.com, that's OFOTO.com, as well as hands on development of client, client server, and distributed applications on Unix, Windows, and Macintosh at prior companies. I think that's a very long way of saying I'm a super geek. You are the Uber geek. <laughs> Bill Staples is an interim vice president of the CodePlex Foundation Board of Directors, a longtime web enthusiast currently employed at Microsoft Corporation as general manager of the web platform and tools engineering teams including IIS, ASP.NET, Visual Web Developer, Media Server, and Commerce Server. Bill began his involvement with the web community in the early 90s, developing rudimentary CGI applications on Apache Server and Linux. Over the past 10 years, he's worked on web technologies running on OS platforms from Solaris to Windows, using dynamic scripting technologies including ColdFusion, Perl, ASP, and ASP.NET. For the past several years, Bill has led the IIS team at Microsoft, including the IIS 5.1, 6.0, and 7.0 projects. Welcome, guys. Great to be here. Thanks for having us on. Great to have you, and uh, congratulations on the success of CodePlex. Yeah, it's been a labor of love, and uh, it's uh, great to get a chance to talk with you guys about it. And uh, from, from the, certainly from the, this is Sam, um, uh, from my point of view, I think you'll get a ton of uh, fascinating stuff from this this discussion from Bill Staples because he has been uh, uh, really a, a huge champion and pioneer of, of this effort for a long time. Uh, I was uh, slightly embarrassed uh, listening to my my bio being read out because I think it was Bill three years ago that we first started talking about PHP and you guys started doing something about that in the IIS team. Um, so uh, so Bill's been part of the uh, the open source revolution at Microsoft from from the very beginning and uh, really the the key champion to help get the CodePlex Foundation uh, launched from within the company. Hey, before we get into too far into CodePlex, um, one thing in your bio, Sam, really struck my eye, which is uh, that you're focused, you guys are focused on accelerating the arrival of the open cloud economy, your company, Sonoa. That's right. What exactly does that mean? Well, we're seeing that, like the 90s, when everybody was getting um, getting into the open web economy, everybody was getting a web page up, and then anybody on the planet who could, you know, borrow or you know, beg time on a computer suddenly was uh, a participant in the web economy. And even if many of those transactions didn't carry value in the beginning, that gave the opportunity for uh, for a whole bunch of businesses to get together and and uh, 
communities and different organizations to, to collaborate. What's happening with the cloud, uh, from, from my point of view, is that it's, it's like an invisible web. It's recognizing that as we're, as we're seeing the course of, of the Internet evolve, there are many, many, many more clients that are devices that are mediating interactions for people and even more that are coming. The next 10 billion devices will be, will be mobile devices and those will all be carrying applications that interact with these, these same back-end systems, but they don't necessarily want a pure web experience. They don't want a WAP experience. Uh, they're, you know, they're sort of very responsive uh, device-specific applications that are using cloud APIs, either REST or SOAP or RSS even, uh, and the more people and applications that can uh, can participate in that, the better of a cloud I think we'll see. So what uh, what my company Sonoa does is provides an accelerator, uh, cash, security, and policy mechanism uh, for all of these open protocols for WSR uh, and then for homegrown protocols, REST, REST-like, RESTful, um, uh, and even RSS feeds. Uh, uh, to make sure that those connections can be just as uh, predictable and controllable and secure as as the ones using technologies that are people people are, are used to, you know, like uh, the tip the the basic HTML over HTTP. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, you know, I know that the the cloud is a new thing for for a lot of us .NET developers, and yeah, it's pretty new in general. You know, Azure, of course, is Microsoft's thing, and uh, it seems, uh, you know. It, for most people that we talk to, it seems as if, well, things are sort of working out, but we really haven't seen any major applications yet. And then all of a sudden, here's like the arrival of the open cloud economy. Like, oh, my God, I never really thought about that far in the future. But, um, yeah, I imagine that it does uh, certainly taking all that hardware stuff off the table certainly does free up uh, companies and small companies especially, I think. To, to get their stuff out there. Yeah, for sure. And when, when, those, when all those web pages and such are, are exposed via APIs that programmers and you know, the developers can build new experiences against, right. then you get this whole other wave of innovation. Right? If you right. look at eBay, you know, they've, they've got 6 billion transactions a month going through just their APIs and not their right. web properties at all anymore. Yeah. So it's a 60% of all their traffic. So that's just a, just a good sort of thing to keep in mind as you see the the cloud build up that there's this whole invisible part of the web that only developers and programs can see. Indeed. So let's talk Codeplex. Let's make a distinction between Codeplex.com and Toadplex.org because I've known about Codeplex.com for a long time. That's a great point. What uh, specific questions can we answer about Codeplex.org? Uh, so, I mean, Codeplex.com has been this website for, for open source projects. There's lots and lots and lots of them, and we reference them all the time. And, uh, and so that's, that's not the new thing, right? The, the foundation is the new thing. Correct. That is the old thing. So, and they're not related. Or are they? Or are they? Actually, they're, uh, they are only related in terms of their passion for open source and enabling developers to uh, build great software. But in terms of how the organizations are run and what their purpose is, they're very different. Um, maybe I'll take a stab at it, and Sam, feel free to jump in if, I, uh, if you have something to add. Coplex.com is, is really a project hosting site for open source projects, much like uh, SourceForge um, you know, or, or uh, Google's uh, project hosting site. It's it meant to you know, have a landing place for developers to put their code and uh, manage their projects, and, and that's what that team will continue to do going forward. 
the Coplex Foundation is really an open source foundation, much like Apache Software Foundation or um, you know Mozilla or Eclipse Foundation. And really, it's a it's a legal it's a business entity that uh, provides um, uh, you know an organization or business element around particular projects. So, for example, uh, the Coplex Foundation will actually own IP um, of some of the projects that it sponsors, and it will um, also provide a set of services to the developers uh, and the projects that come under its scope. So uh, we'll probably talk a little bit, I'm sure, on this call about how the foundation is organized and how projects get accepted and kind of the benefits that they will see by becoming a part of the foundation. But those kinds of benefits are very different than, say, you know, a project hosting site like SourceForge or Coplex.com. So would you say the primary purpose for developers is to get exposure? Is it to make money? What is the primary goal, service that you provide developers? So what we provide as a as a as a not for profit foundation, and we're we're a five hundred one c six, so uh, we're we're formally a trade association, much like the Eclipse Foundation is. Um, the purpose of foundation and its value to developers is is simply this: the existence of open source projects is made up of an ex- uh, specific uh, copyright licensing and. The location of the ownership of that copyright is a huge material factor in the vibrancy of that open source project. So you'll see that, for example, all of the copyrights to um, Firefox are owned by uh, the Mozilla Foundation, as opposed to any one particular developer owning it, um, as you have in Linux, where the copyrights sort of spread across 10,000 or so developers. Uh, so to quote uh, Linus Torvalds, uh, you've got a single legal entity that owns that copyright, and then that can provide the kind of benefits that you get from being a corporation, which is you now have an entity that can accept donations of code. You have an entity that can accept donations of cash. Uh, you have sort of resiliency over multiple generations of the committers and maintainers of a given project. Um, and what the foundation's uh, uh, existence is based on is increasing the contribution from corporate entities to community software projects. Uh, one of the things that I saw when I was at Microsoft was that there was there were many many uh, open source software projects out there in the world being used and being used even by corporations. But um, sometimes those developers would go, uh, un, you know, sort of uncompensated for the work. Um, there was no way to to, to easily contribute uh, fixes back to the project because the the corporation that was using them um, either didn't have great open source practices or or simply didn't didn't know who to contact. Uh, so simplifying all of that and enabling uh, the software industry to get better through sort of healthy, sustainable, consistent contribution from from corporations to to community projects is very important to us. Having a legal mechanism sitting in the middle of that, where uh, where donations can be accepted, where projects can be managed, and uh, and frankly within the galleries, and we should talk about that in a moment. Uh, within the galleries that uh, that the foundation organizes its projects. New projects and new developers could uh, could become known and uh, could become uh, useful participants of the of the software industry. And you talk about the museum model and how that sort of that analog really works. Tell tell us about that. 
actually, Bill Staples, I think, does the best job of, of articulating that. He, um, he and Sean Walker were the two uh, directors from the Foundation's board who... Um, who really pioneered the uh, uh, the museum design pattern and um, and built out uh, all of the the articulations of that, including all the the community feedback and and the final sort of draft version that we see published today. So, um, Bill, yeah, yeah, Sean and I were Sean and I were uh, stepping back, looking at how maybe the foundation could be organized and go about its mission. We looked for analogs, and one of the um, strong comparisons we came up with is a museum. If you think about how museums work, they're out there, most of them are nonprofit, like our Coplex Foundation, and many of them accept donations from corporations or individuals uh, in terms of sponsoring a particular uh, area of interest in art or history, for example. And oftentimes, those those uh, sponsorships come out in the form of a gallery, like a modern art gallery that one or more contributors sponsor, that then uh, provides kind of a center of gravity in the museum around modern art. And we thought about the foundation as well and, and its mission to uh, bring together uh, software companies and open source developers. And we thought that that same uh, concept could apply to software projects. In other words, uh, we have a model in which uh, sponsors, either corporations or individuals, can sponsor a gallery in the foundation. And the gallery can be around any particular concept, idea, or technology. And then... Uh, with the creation of that gallery, projects can be accepted into it, either from the corporation that's sponsoring it or also from uh, other individuals or community members um, to kind of fill out that gallery and uh, receive all the benefits that come from the foundation, as Sam just articulated, in terms of legal or um, uh, other kinds of uh, uh, support uh, under the uh, under that gallery. So in the... The best way to kind of describe it is uh, maybe the way that the first gallery was created. Uh, the board of directors first published our uh, document around how the foundation will be run, the operations practices, uh, several weeks ago. And then just last week, we announced the formation of the first gallery in following that operational guidance we published. The name of the gallery is the ASP.NET Open Source Gallery, and so it's sponsored by Microsoft, and it's centered around the ASP.NET technology. And the first project that we put into that gallery uh, from Microsoft's side is um, the ASP.NET AJAX library. This is a set of uh, AJAX uh, controls and uh, AJAX uh, libraries that uh, support uh, building rich, dynamic uh, applications using either ASP.NET or also PHP and other technologies. And... Uh, it's uh, taking forward some of the projects we've had going on here at Microsoft around AJAX under a common uh, project name and, and uh, um, project uh, source, source base. And uh, we expect now that the gallery has been created, that other uh, interested parties, either uh, inside Microsoft or also outside Microsoft, that are building ASP.NET-related technologies will want to introduce their projects into this gallery and uh, we've also actually been talking to a couple of people who are already interested in doing that. So, uh, look forward for more news coming soon. And back to the back to the developer benefit, um, we attended the Monospace conference in Austin, which was hosted by Scott Bellware uh, at the end of October, and got an opportunity to talk with about fifty um, open source .NET developers just to understand uh, what they what they like to see, what some of the benefits uh, c- could be from their point of view. Um, 
almost almost immediately a couple things emerged. Uh, one was that there are um, there there's a, there's a real need for uh, an entity that can accept contributions. Uh, that they had that there had been some challenges on uh, either getting people to contribute, getting getting companies to contribute uh, code, or just companies who wanted to make some sort of you know cash donation to to further the existence of a of a given project. Um, that they found that difficult to give uh, cash donations to an individual uh, outside of the existence of a statement of work or some other more specific process, right? So to be able to make it a corporate expense or a charitable gift made sense. The second thing that came up, and this was really sort of the killer application, I think, for uh, for the galleries, is that there's a, there's not an there's not a smooth uh, say there's a, there's an uneven distribution of uh, of people in the world who both are technical and are working on open source projects and are also uh, very social towards new developers and want to help them come into a new project, understand how CVS works, understand how um, the project itself is structured, and maybe suggest a couple of areas to work on for a new enthusiastic developer. Not necessarily an experienced developer, but even a developer with 15, 20 years experience getting into a brand new code base and a new project and getting used to all those social models is kind of challenging. So as you look at the idea of a gallery and then you take into mind the, the, the concept that a gallery is really organized by a person, a gallery manager, um, we think that this person can be a better use of that scarce resource of, of, of someone who's both you know, technical and social and wants to help bootstrap new developers, really a community manager if you take um, the point of view of John O'Bacon, uh, John is the community manager for Canonical, which is uh, uh, the company behind uh, the Ubuntu distribution. And he, he recently wrote a fantastic book that's uh, by O'Reilly Press. If you're interested in the topic at all, you should run, not walk, and buy this. It's called The Art of Community. Uh, so the idea of being able to have a community manager to help build more vibrant communities of open source projects inside these galleries is something I'm, I'm particularly excited about. And I think it's a real benefit for uh, it'll be a real benefit for developers, for example, who come to the ASP.NET Open Source Gallery, uh, or for other other corporations who want to sponsor uh, further galleries. It's uh, something that we can we can make available to uh, to those companies. Now, the only problem I have with the museum metaphor is that I always get a sense that it's like the the uh, museum piece is static, and I got to think that this code's still alive that you continue to work on it. Yeah, that's a great point. It's definitely. Uh, the- the artwork, if you will, is not done when it's introduced into the gallery. It's a living, breathing, thriving project. We, you know, we, we expect them to continue to grow um, well beyond just in being introduced into the uh, gallery. And, and one of the arguments for putting it in the gallery is so that other that it, it isn't dependent on one person, that it can continue on when the originator is no longer involved. Exactly. And a lot of the infrastructure in terms of how to you know, contributor license agreements and how contributions are made and how IP is licensed or assigned. All of that is handled through the foundation, freeing up the developer to focus more on the tasks that he or she cares about, you know, writing code. And I'm, and I'm not surprised that Sean Walker is involved in this. I, I consider him a friend, and I've, I've had those conversations with him about how .NET Nuke consumed him effectively, that, that all of a sudden he had yep. this thing and had to deal with all of that himself. It's almost like it's punishment for creating an open source project that people cared about. And it's an old story, even if you're, even if you're in business in, in any kind of thing. You, know, you, you do what you love, you get into business, and then you spend more time figuring out how to run the business than doing the thing that got you into business. Exactly. That's exactly right. 
anybody can write code and publish it on the net, but uh, keeping it alive, keeping it uh, uh, thriving, and also if you're interested, you know, turning it into a business or even just enabling other businesses to take advantage of it turns out to be a lot of work and sometimes a lot of work that developers aren't necessarily interested in doing. Yeah, the the, the math uh, bears this out empirically, right? There's, depending on how you count, there's sort of on the order of 350,000 open source projects in the world. Uh, you haven't heard of most of them. That's, that's not necessarily because uh, they're not great projects, but because unlike, let's say, the top 100 projects, which might be the, you know, the 50 to 60 uh, Apache Software Foundation projects, um, the projects in the Eclipse Foundation, um, you know, Mozilla, uh, Linux, obviously, you know, uh, uh, Perl, PHP, Python. Uh, now we've kind of just, you know, you sort of exhausted the, you know, SendMail, uh, a, a bunch of the, the best-known projects that have really solved this set of problems of governance, which is how do we accept contributions from uh, from third parties who are just going to make a one-time contribution? How are we going to accept contributions from people who want to continue to commit to the project? Um, how are we going to handle it when a company wants to license some of that work? What are the terms under which they're able to redistribute it? And how does this whole thing uh, continue to grow and thrive? So given the members that we have of the board of directors, which includes, as you mentioned, Sean Walker, as well as uh, Miguel Villacasa. Uh, Miguel, of course, was the uh, founder of uh, uh, Gnome, uh, which is the Linux uh, window, window management system, as well as a number of other open source projects, most notably Mono. Uh, and then on our board of advisors, we have uh, Monty Wadinius, who uh, was the inventor of MySQL, uh, Larry Augustin, a member of VA Linux and, and Slashdot and SourceForge from, from early on, a range of others who are, you know, it's, it's, we've got a fantastic board um, that we're, we're very fortunate to have. There's a range of experience of the best practices of what made all of those, you know, household name sorts of open source projects uh, so effective. And it's our uh, it's our belief that by capturing those best practices uh, and by making them available, not just as sort of written down best practice, but really lived, breathed, embodied best practices, where these people are available as mentors uh, mm-hmm. for new projects, that we'll be able to uh, to elevate uh, a range of other open source projects that are that are not necessarily getting the the usage or the contribution uh, that they that they could. So, is the foundation essentially the board of directors, or are there more people involved? Uh, we've got about uh, we've got six people on the board of directors. Uh, we've got uh, we've got about fourteen on the board of advisors. Um, then we have a set of volunteers as well as uh, as well as paid staff. Um, Mark Stone, our, our deputy director, uh, is probably the the person who is you know spending the uh, most time of anyone on the on the foundation. You know, probably in the in the in the seventy to eighty hours a week range. Uh, we've got. Uh, uh, we've got a uh, now we've got projects on board, so I think it'll become uh, increasingly hard to determine where the foundation stops and where uh, and where the projects begin. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Telerik, who bring you the Telerik extensions for ASP.NET MVC. The extensions bring rich UIs to your MVC application. These are just announced, and this time they're not standard web forms controls tailored for MVC, but native, built-from-the-ground-up MVC components. There's three important things to remember. One, they're pure ASP.NET MVC components. Two, they're based on jQuery. And third, and this is the best part, they're completely open source. Just go to www.telerik.com mvc for more information and online demos. 
make sure you thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Now, I mean, at, this, at one level of this thing, there, the big element is allowing businesses that are building applications to utilize open source software without risk, knowing what the real risks are. I mean, there's plenty of organizations I've talked to where open source software is simply not an option because of concerns around licensing and survivability and, and, and so forth. It, to me, that seems like that's the thing about a found, this foundation is to deal with that independent of the developers. What about support, Richard? I mean, do you guys... Uh do you guys provide support for for the software that you represent? Not directly in terms of you know features or bugs that are being requested, but one of the services of the foundation is to provide, um, you know, as we outlined in our in our document, a security response uh, and security uh, communication point for the projects, uh, which I know is, a, is definitely a, a concern on the mind of many businesses who are interested in open source. You know, who do they go to if they know of a security issue or they hear of a security issue and where can they expect a fix from? And so uh, that's, you know, one of the benefits the foundation provides is that communication point. In terms of actual fixes and, and bug fixes and so forth for projects, you know, we would rely on the developers behind the projects to, to be making those. Um, but as you said, the survivability of a project definitely goes up if it's accepted into the foundation. Um, one, because we have a, a, a fairly... Um, uh, good bar in terms of the viability of projects we accept into the foundation, and two, because once it gets into the foundation, there's a lot more visibility and a lot more uh, mentorship and, and community that goes around the projects than might otherwise naturally happen. So what does it take to get a project into the, the foundation? Well, you have a, a, a process on our, on our website, but fundamentally it's... Um, have a, have a project that's a going concern, um, identify, uh, or the foundation can help you identify a commercial sponsor uh, that is a, a corporation who's, uh, who's, who's, interest, who's materially interested in that project uh, expanding and being used more and who's interested in, in uh, making contributions. Um, project needs to uh, be, needs to use an open source license, um, not an open source like license, not a license that meets the 10-point open source definition but has not yet been certified by the OSI, just a license that's listed by the OSI. Uh, we tend to favor BSD, and as you'll note, the uh, the contributions from Microsoft that went into the ASP.NET open source gallery last week uh, are BSD licensed, and I think that's that's significant and uh, and pretty important. Right. And then finally, they need to use our contribution agreements. Uh, we, what, what, we, what we believe is that the, the open source licensing world has been really, really well explored, and the canonical open source licenses can be found at opensource.org. But the, the, the next dimension of, uh, uh, of, of contribution or of open source licensing that's important for everyone to tackle, and this includes um, organizations like the Apache Software Foundation, is uh, establishment of contribution mechanisms. It's one thing to have the copyright, and it's another thing to have all the other rights you need, which are sometimes sometimes implicit, sometimes explicit, uh, not, not necessarily always agreed on. So our contribution uh, mechanism uh, revolves around our, our licenses that require uh, contribution of all the copyrights to the foundation uh, as part of the project, as well as uh, uh, patent licensing, uh, patent license grants to the foundation for patents that the uh, that the contributor might hold uh, on that code, which the foundation then is uh, it, 
relicenses to all downstream uh, consumers, developers, uh, at no cost, uh, a perpetual royalty-free license to, uh, to all that same intellectual property. So it's one of those areas where uh, contribution has been sort of varied, and, and sometimes it's worked well, sometimes it's worked not so well. Sometimes the risks haven't been known by a company who'd like to pick up the, the project. Well, who else has a right to this? Are those stated explicitly? With our contribution agreements, we believe that we can we can show provenance and we can show uh, an explicit uh, path of approvals that'll make it easy and low risk to adopt uh, the software that's in foundation projects. Yeah, this is about trying to get a company comfortable using this library, knowing who else is licensed to, what restrictions are actually in place on it, and how the IP is managed. Because Trying to get individual developers that have been contributing to a project to deal with this, it's just about beyond them. And last time I looked, those guys are busy. That's exactly right. They're busy, and it's not their core, uh, not necessarily their core, their core competency. The other area that I'll, I'll just mention before sort of handing the, the, the stick back to, uh, to Bill Staples is that many companies, a company is not a person, right? Many companies, Wall Street companies, for example, uh, financial services companies, their primary business is not software. Now, they use a ton of software. They generate a ton of software, but that's all in-house. They don't think of themselves as a software distributor. They're they're not in that business. They're in the business of financial services. So if you think about the opportunity cost for their legal teams, you know, one thing that that, uh, when I was at Microsoft, I had customers tell me, hey, we'd, we'd love to contribute to this project, but we can't even get on the lawyer's agenda to explain to them what we want to do, let alone deal with the ramp-up time of them figuring out open-source licensing and you know what are the implicit risks and what are the requirements for, for our company because it's not their core competency. So this is another area, I think, wherever, wherever that's not your core competency, that being able to have a very standardized set of contribution mechanisms whether or not you contribute the project to the CodePlex Foundation or not, we're, we're kind of joking around. We should have a, a little steal me tag on our agreements. Go ahead and use the agreements and you know modify who you're going to contribute them to. But to have a, a well-understood, low-risk, consistent mechanism for being able to, to, to contribute you know, uh, software copyright and patent rights uh, to an open source project is crucial. So what is it about BSD that you like the best? I'll let Bill comment on that, and uh, I'll, I'll follow up because I, th- I think he he was one of the uh, uh, the originators of that term, and also uh, for the foundation as well as uh, having overseen the the conversion of the existing uh, AJAX uh, projects from their existing licenses to BSD licenses as they became submitted by the uh, to the foundation. Yeah, there's, there are two points I wanted to address and follow up to this. One is the BSD license we chose because it's a you know well established, um, very uh, liberally used license in open source um, that does not include the viral uh, uh, options that you can find in GPL and other licenses. Right. And uh, we felt like it you know, would be well-received by the community, and so far uh, it's been very well-received uh, with the, uh, the HPNet AJAX library. The other thing I wanted to quickly follow up on was your question. Uh, you know, Sam mentioned that we're looking for established projects, and, and you had questions around viability. There's sort of two elements in our project acceptance checklist that address that. One is we're looking for projects with at least three committers, you know, and that saves uh, the, the projects from failing because the one guy who runs it, you know, happens to get a new job that won't allow him to continue to do it, or, or he uh, something, you know, something happens to him and he, he can't work on the project anymore. The other one is we do have a pretty simple project viability test, 
in which there's three criteria. If you meet any one of the three, you pass the test. That, uh, the first criteria is you have two or three major project releases under your belt. The second one is uh, you have key adopters by significant you know, deployments or customers. So, for example, if uh, a project's been adopted and is running in a, in a fairly large um, uh, application or distribution on the Internet, uh, they might qualify. And then the third one is a three-year commitment by the sponsor who is contributing the project. So if Microsoft, for example, were to start up a new project um, behind in the foundation, they would need to make a three-year commitment to stand behind that project as a minimum. And what does it mean to stand behind the project like that? Uh, to dedicate engineering resources, you know, full-time engineering resources to it for a minimum of three years. Interesting. So that sounds like the toughest stumbling block for anyone trying to take their project to the foundation. And it's not that tough to change a license, and it's not. It's got to be a relatively successful project, having multiple contributors and multiple users. But finding that sponsor sounds like a real challenge. Well, as I mentioned, any one of those three criteria can be met. You don't have to meet all three. Okay. So either two or three major releases, key adopters showing you know significant adoption in the market by mm-hmm. uh, you know well well known customers or projects, and then third. Uh, if if it doesn't have those other two, but the commercial sponsor behind it is willing to commit to a three-year minimum commitment, then that would meet the project viability test. I get it. Okay. that that Now that makes a lot of sense to me. So big, successful open-source projects that just want to make it easier for people to adopt it could move over to the foundation. But even something that's relatively new, if it's got good sponsorship, it's still worthwhile to move to the foundation. Correct. Yeah, let me just um, uh, embellish on that a, a little bit. One of the things that we heard uh, both at the Monospace conference and uh, uh, and from other developers uh, is the idea that we are we are we are blessed in the CodePlex Foundation with uh, with a board of advisors and, and board of directors whose um, industry connections bridges uh, a range of open source technologies and a range of uh, fairly large software corporations as well as software startups and, and venture capital. Uh, so one of the things that people brought up is, hey, I've got a project. It's 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 working pretty well. I've got a number of committers. I'm also kind of wondering if there are if there's a corporate sponsor out there that we just haven't met yet, and uh, is there a place that they you know that, that that we could go to to get some advice on this? Um, so they felt that that'd be something valuable to, for the foundation to to offer. So as we look at these uh, uh, projects coming in. Uh, we can pretty quickly take a look and say, "Hey, this this look this doesn't have a corporate sponsor, but uh, this looks like it'd be a really good strategic fit with with company X, and can create an introduction. You know, no promises to to generate that that long term commitment. Right? We're not in the in the selling business, but but our, our opportunity to just make social connections between corporations and community projects, uh, I think, will turn out to be one of the one of the more valuable uh, uh, pieces of of the foundation's existence." Hey, I just want to give a shout-out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActiveReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. I can also see a diversity of companies wanting to do that because one of the upsides to getting the code over here is getting more contributions from other people and more utilization. 
if you've got a fairly unique chunk of code that you know might work across multiple projects, putting it over here so that more people use it is a great way to actually protect it. That's a great point. I, mean, I can just speak from experience, actually. You know, you'd think Microsoft, as big as we are and as many resources as Microsoft has, it would be a trivial thing to set up an open source project and, and maintain those contributions and so forth. Part of the ASP.NET AJAX library project that was announced is actually the AJAX Control Toolkit. This is an open source project that Microsoft started a couple of years ago and, and actually did accept contributions from the community on uh, for a number of, of years. And um, quite frankly, you know, as the business owner for that project, I'm uh, very much looking forward to having the foundation uh, run this on behalf of Microsoft, run the, you know, own the project, run the project and the contributions to it because it, uh, it is a very costly thing to, to maintain from a legal perspective, from just a logistics perspective. And, and, and I think that the number of contributions will actually only go up um, because the entity doing that is focused on doing that as part of their core business as opposed to you know, running Microsoft ASP.NET team and, and doing all the things that I do. And so I think it's a win for the foundation and a win for Microsoft and other companies who are interested in doing the same kind of thing. I'm going to think from a Microsoft perspective, every time you guys ship a piece of code, there's a significant financial commitment to the tech support of it, to the, the number of versions you're going to support over mm-hmm. time and so forth. And so you've got to assess for every project, is this worthwhile? And then you, the, how many times have you run into a situation where it isn't? And so what was a pretty good idea may not ever see the light of day. Well, I imagine what you guys are doing in the foundation is a little more hands-off than the, you know, for the developers than, you know, taking on your own software and putting it out with a Microsoft stamp on it? Uh, yes yeah. and no. I mean, so let me, let me try and address that both ways. In terms of, um, you know, projects that we ship from a Microsoft standpoint, stand behind and support, yeah, there is a fairly high bar in terms of making sure that the projects, uh, you know, do meet our business goals and, and help us in terms of, uh, you know, delivering the results that we're after. And there are a lot of great ideas that don't get fully funded and, and don't come to fruition because of that. And the foundation might serve as a way for some of those ideas, either directly from Microsoft or the developers behind them, to get those ideas out and baked and, and, and thriving in the community. In terms of uh, whether, you know, the projects that Microsoft puts in there will be supported or not, my expectation is that many of them will so, for example, the ASP.NET AJAX library, even though we are uh, assigning that uh, IP, the, the copyright, the IP to the foundation, the foundation is running that project, um, we do expect Microsoft will continue to support the library. And developers who want to use it can continue to call customer support services for Microsoft and get their, their questions answered. So, it's, uh, again, I think it's, I think it's a win for the community, a win for the foundation, uh, and a win for Microsoft. Yeah, corporate sponsorship should be should be strategic, right? The the, the projects that a company is going to put its FTEs behind should be materially beneficial to to the business that that company is in. So when we look at would you know would we expect that those projects would would be supported? Yeah, we 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 absolutely do. Uh, I, I think the examples Bill's giving for Microsoft are great ones. They're they definitely fit Microsoft's business. And I think for other companies in the uh, in the software industry, you know, be they be they industry giants or, or be they you know mid-sized or, or or software startups, will find that there are projects that they really want to get out in the world, 
that they want to get a third-party contribution to, that they want to see other companies ship commercial implementations of as well, um, this is a great place to do that. It's not a place to dump code, to sort of park code, because you feel like there's some there's some you know great philanthropic thing that you could do by by um, sort of handing over a, a code gift to a community because uh, a code gift without a long-term developer commitment is really just a code bomb, and we definitely don't believe in code bombs. <laughs> code bomb. Yeah, it's true. But at the same time, you know, you talked about the companies that aren't in the business of writing code but end up creating interesting projects but are never going to have the resources to maintain them long-term themselves. Right. Uh, and so, you know, if they can find sufficient participation to get it involved in the foundation, it's a way for that code base to survive. For sure. Yeah. And I think an interesting model of this, it's not a foundation project, but let me just talk briefly because I think it's an interesting model, is uh, AMQP. It's the Advanced Message Queuing Protocol. It was written by an architect at J.P. Morgan Chase, who does a lot of message queuing, but again, they're, they're not a software business. And then they started collaborating with another financial services company with Goldman Sachs. Um, and as they took it forward, they started going, you know, we, we would like to talk to some vendors about, you know, getting involved in this. And they ended up getting vendor support from uh, Red Hat, from Microsoft, from, uh, from Novell, from RabbitMQ, from WSO2, a whole, a whole range of uh, companies that are in the software development business. And now that's, a, that's both a working group that has a, an open specification as well as a set of open source projects that are, uh, that are implemented behind it. So that's a, that's a great example of um, being able to do the contribution that you want to do as a company, right? You know messaging, but have a community show up that's mixed uh, commercial as well as non-commercial uh, contributors have that community show up to be able to to handle the different parts of the of the of the software distribution software development process that that maybe you're not an expert in, but everybody and, benefits. Yeah, just uh, I can speak just from a week of experience since we've made the announcement on the ASP.NET Open Source Gallery. We've already been approached by um, uh, several projects on joining the ASP.NET Open Source Gallery. At least a few of those um, actually are businesses, small businesses who kind of started up a business around a particular technology uh, that's complementary to ASP.NET and, and could be a very good fit uh, for the ASP.NET gallery. And um, you know, they, they clearly see the benefit in terms of handing off some of the operational aspects of running an open source project to the foundation. They also see the business benefit from being associated with the Coplex Foundation with a Microsoft-sponsored gallery. And uh, while it's too late to kind of announce who those people are and, and when they'd be in the gallery, I fully expect projects like that, they're complementary to ASP.NET or to any of the other galleries that we end up uh, creating, um, you'll see those come out in the coming weeks or months. And, and um, I, you know, any of your listeners out there who have such projects that are uh, related and complementary to ASP.NET, I you know, welcome their uh, input and welcome their uh, suggestion of joining the gallery. So on the ASP.NET side of, of things, these these examples are really you know sort of rich and, and vivid, and hopefully as we're talking through it, they're they're becoming more obvious. Uh, I think other galleries will show up uh, that maybe aren't uh, aren't immediately obvious. Um, uh, I expect that we might see a networking gallery. Uh, personally, I'm I'm very interested in in, in network protocols. Uh, there's a there's a whole you know ecosystem around those uh, where you look at you know standard uh, implementations of those protocols. Uh, or you know reference implementations of standards 
Uh, those are interesting places for projects to exist. Um, geographic and information systems uh, would be an interesting gallery. So I think galleries can can slice any any set of ways. But if they're if they're properly constructed, they should be a place where um, where a community of uh, uh, of commercial and non-commercial interests can can all show up together and uh, and and add their their ideas and their you know their their different existing software projects into something that has um, uh, that, that has you know be, that is better together you know has a level of critical mass and and can attract attention you know in the way that we're starting to see the ASP.NET Open Source Gallery attract attention uh, only uh, you know less than a week into its existence. So how can I contribute if I want? I mean, it's a nonprofit organization, right? So it's a tax write-off for anybody who wants to contribute to the foundation, I imagine? I'm not an accountant, so I can't answer uh, tax-related questions. It's a nonprofit organization, right? Right. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. It's a, fi- it's a 501c6. Okay. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a charity either. Uh, okay. Fair enough. It's cla- yeah, that's correct. It's, it's classed as a trade association. Again, um, you know, uh, uh, the Apache Software Foundation is a, is a 501c3. Uh, it's a nonprofit, and um, uh, the Eclipse Foundation is a 501c6 uh, or trade association. Uh, so the foundation can accept donations uh, directly. Um, it can also accept donations in kind, you know, of, of uh, for example, servers or storage or uh, volunteer time. Right. Uh, and for corporations that are making the contribution, it uh, it is classed as a business expense. Uh, rather than a charitable gift, uh, so I believe different taxation rules okay. apply. But uh, there's a, a set of pragmatic reasons why uh, the Eclipse Foundation has uh, has maintained uh, 501c6 status uh, to make that uh, that aspect of accounting easier for their uh, for their members and contributors. And so for the time being, we we plan to stick with that same classification. And you can contribute to a particular project, right? I- I don't necessarily have to contribute to the whole foundation. If there's one project that you're doing that I'm really interested in seeing that succeed, can I contribute directly to that? Correct. You'd make a contribution to the foundation earmarked for that project, and we'd make sure that it got the the, uh, the contribution was spent on that project. And you know, I think Carl's hit on something interesting here. You've talked about the Eclipse Foundation and the Mozilla Foundation, and so forth. They're all project specific. This Coplex Foundation is multi-project. That's right. Is that is that a fairly unusual thing? I don't. I can't think of anyone else who's doing it quite like this. It's pretty unique. Uh, the Apache Software Foundation is multi-project, right? I think they've got about fifty-five. I, I lose count because I'm I'm not checking the incubator status every day. But uh, I think they've got, there's about fifty-five top-level projects in the Apache Software Foundation. Um, but the, the the range of projects and, and technology bases that we hope to get within the Coplex Foundation, I think, will be will be pretty unique. Uh, and I think it's important because the foundation is committed to a process rather than any particular technology. It's really the right. process of sustainable contribution and collaboration between uh, between corporations and uh, open source communities. Well, that just about brings us to the end of the show. Is there any last-minute things you want to uh, throw out there before we wrap up? I would just say it's been a uh, it's been a real privilege to be able to work with the um, uh, the members of the the board of directors and board of advisors, as well as to get the kind of outreach that we've gotten from uh, from across the industry. Uh, we've heard from uh, large Wall Street banks. We've heard from individual, uh, you know, uh, sort of one one person shows, uh, you know, in, in individual consultants, uh, as well as from 
uh, from really leading open source lawyers and, uh, and, and and legal thinkers to people who have uh, who built uh, some of the most successful open source foundations in the world, uh, like the Apache Software Foundation, from the ground up. Uh, they've all weighed in, uh, offered their opinions and advice, both you know publicly on blogs, uh, you know privately in emails and conversations. Uh, it's just it's just quite an amazing period, I think, in in the foundation's existence, and it's uh, I, I feel very lucky to be part of it. All right, guys. Thank you so much for spending an hour with us and talking about the CodePlex Foundation. Good luck with that. And again, congratulations. And uh, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the 